Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. And now for the fourth in our four-part series, Digging Up the Marrow. Today's episode is entitled Hatchet from 2006. And not the hatchet that my elementary school teacher friends know as a young adult book about being lost in the woods. No, they are lost in a swamp, not the woods. Yes. And it is not a young adult story. No, it's not. This is actually the story of a group of tourists going on a haunted swamp tour in New Orleans. And it turns out there is an actual ghost they call it a ghost anyway, which murders them all. Yes. That's the story. It's it's an uplifting tale. Yeah. It is a very intentional, very thorough throwback to 80s slasher movies. That's yeah. what they're doing here. It was refreshing, actually, to watch a movie where there was no hope at the end. Like, Lately, the ending is something to talk about. Yeah, we've seen a lot of, you know, where there's the horror, there's the bad guys, but then eventually somebody escapes or, so, you know, some good guy prevails. Yeah. And in this one, nope, the bad guy definitely wins. Yeah. In addition to that and throwback style, this movie has brief cameos from both Robert England and Tony Todd. So yes. it's like it's combining all the things we've been doing all month. It's good times. Is it? I don't know. This was my favorite of our four-part series. Well, let me think about that. Uh, we started with The Tunnel. Uh-huh. Terrible. Digging Up the Marrow. Yeah. The Nightbreed. Yeah. And now this. Yeah. I like Nightbreed better, I think. Why? What What was this one lacking or what, was, what did that one have over this one? I hesitate to say that a movie that came out in 2006 is modern. <laughs> right. 14 years ago. Right. But I consider that present day as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that is how old our water heaters were and they've both died. <laughs> yeah. So so did everyone in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess it's not modern. Okay, really, this whole thing felt like a test for Adam Green. We were seeing if he was an okay guy after we had questions from digging up the marrow. Yes. He failed his test big time. He did. So I, I want to point out, I'm not saying that this was a good movie or that I really liked it. Uh-huh. I'm just saying of the four, this was the one I least <laughs> regretted having watched. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't agree there. I, I yeah. will go with Nightbreed or maybe even Digging Up the Marrow, which is... Mm, no, No, I don't not. know. It was not a great experience. No, I'm going to say definitely not with that one. I can see where you're coming from with Nightbreed. Eh, maybe. I think it would depend on, on you know, 
my mood or, you know, I don't know how hungry I was or something. Yeah. I could go back and forth between those two. But So Nightbreed was 1990, and it was about 74% more woke than this 2006 <laughs> movie. Yes, it was. Which is rough. I think that is a function of who is doing the writing. Yeah. And, you know, there are things about Clive Barker that allow him to be perhaps more woke and aware of the struggles of some individuals. Whereas I think Adam Green is your typical middle-class white dude who really hasn't... I'm sure he has had his personal struggles, but he has never had to live within a world where he wasn't the top tier. I don't know, because the impression I got from this movie and Digging Up the Marrow is that actually, at some point in his life, he was beaten mercilessly by a person with physical differences. Because he has a real problem with this issue. He does. Yeah. But I, you know, okay, so I went back to marking down four things you know, like oh, we did way gosh. at the beginning. What a great idea. Because I had a lot of notes on this one and I wanted to like figure out, okay, what are the most important things to say? And one of my four notes was just isms. Yes, I have four isms for this movie, actually. <laughs> and it, they just kept coming. Like, uh-huh. so right off the bat, like immediately. <laughs> In the first 30 seconds. First 30 <laughs> seconds, we've got homophobia. Yeah. Then throughout, we definitely end up seeing sexism. Lots. Girls are dumb. Girls are real dumb. We, we're we definitely sure about that based on this movie. And sometimes they're bossy. Yeah. I will say, you know, Mary Beth, who was the only one on the boat who knew what was going on in that area, and she was out looking for her father and her brother who had gone missing. She was probably the most heroic person in the movie, but still somehow they managed to make her seem like she was being bossy as she saved their lives. <laughs> yeah. Which is a skill. I mean, that kind of, that has a 2020 feel to it. Like, <laughs> yeah, it how dare you make me put on a mask? <laughs> it's, well, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, you know, we also just watched the vice presidential debate last night mm. and everyone comment has been commenting on how, Kamala Harris had to walk this fine line between being personable and friendly and warm and open, but also she can't let anybody walk all over her, but she can't be too bossy and she can't be too mean and she can't like, oh, come on. She had a lot to do. Can't you just let a woman save us all for once and not get cranky about it? Probably not. No. No, probably not. So anyway, there definitely was some sexism. There was some weird convoluted racism going on. That is what I... Woke up at 5.30 this morning trying to figure out how to discuss. I spent an hour just going over ways to discuss the subtle and strange racism of this movie. So what did you come up with? I have no answer. I mean, the the biggest and weirdest thing that I just feel like is worth just mentioning on the podcast, even though I don't really know how to, how to discuss it, is Sean, right. their tour guide, Begins the movie with an obviously fake Cajun accent. and A fake Cajun slash Asian accent? Like it's I didn't clearly... even realize that part. Oh, no. It's, it's clearly an 
Asian person putting on a Cajun accent. Yeah, he is Asian. Yes. And then later, whenever he gets nervous or whatever, he kind of falls out of that into straight up regular American guy accent, which makes sense because he's obviously born he's from American. Detroit. Yeah, his character's he from so. Detroit. <laughs> the actor is from New York. I looked it up. But then when he gets really scared, he not only speaks Chinese somewhat, a little bit, but mostly he's speaking English, only he speaks it with a Chinese accent and he forgets how grammar works. I mean, he didn't make that decision. The director told him to do that. It was one of those things where you could tell that the actor had been told to make it more stereotypical. Yeah. It's more behind-the-scenes racism than on-screen racism. Like, it was weird. So weird. You have to sound this way because people will assume you sound this way because because of how you look. And I assume this because of... I'm sure when he was auditioning, the director was like, you're so well-spoken. I'm sure. I'm sure. And that seems to be the kind of guy he is from this data we've collected is that he he's basically the characters from this movie. He's a frat boy who just is not aware of people who are different than him. Right. And what's what makes me a little sad for him and for humanity, I guess, I don't know, because that's I assume that's your fourth ism is that there's also a significant amount of ableism. Huge. And that comes into play when we learn Victor Crowley's backstory. Victor Crowley is the monster who's chasing them. And again, we're back to monster in finger quotes because now this is once again a human being who doesn't look the same as other human beings. So now Mm -hmm. he's a monster. When we're getting his backstory, they tried so hard to write that in a way that was compassionate. Like you could feel the effort backwards, yeah. Right? So the father, like this kid is born with some genetic disorder, his face is, you know, kind of lumpy and, and looks different. And he it appears that he has like difficulty swallowing and yeah. you know, what he's he's size wise, he looks like he's probably ten and he's still being spoon fed. So like there are a lot of clues that there are some challenges to this child's life, right? Sure. And his father is spoon feeding him, has taken him out into the wilderness, you know, the the swamp, built him a home, is clearly taking good care of him, loves him. Yeah. They make it very clear. And so I struggle to understand how someone who can write that scene, which was great, can also write the rest of it, which is entirely this person has physical deformities and possibly some cognitive difficulties that make him different. So obviously he's going to murder everyone who comes along. Well, I mean, in out of revenge, because... In his youth, kids were mean to him, and it was presented like, hey, this is so terrible. Feel bad for this guy. Yes. And then they turn it around, and for the rest of the movie, just, eh, he's a monster. What a horrible thing. Everyone run. It's absolutely contradictory. And I get, you know, they're going for, we want to give him some motivation as the villain, but he's not the villain. I I wrote, I'm 100% for Victor on, on my notes. So toward the bottom of my page, which means it's probably in the last half hour of the movie at this point, they, so, oh, it was the point where they, um, 
They had gotten the gasoline. They had doused him. They had lit him on fire. Right. They're brutalizing him the same way he was in his life. Exactly. They're totally following the pattern of the trauma that may or may not have killed him earlier on. Like, I never got... I mean, I, I never must became be clear on whether he was alive or not at this point. Yeah, it's very unclear. So any, anyway, they re-traumatized this possibly dead spirit in exactly the same way that this spirit was murdered after he had killed several of them. Several. I think there were, what, three, four people left at this point? He had killed a lot of them. Yeah. And my note was... Even after all those murders, I'm still on Victor Crowley's side. Yeah. Like, I was still like, you guys are in the wrong here. Yeah, stop lighting this guy on fire. Just don't do it. You weren't supposed to be here in the first place. You're all a bunch of dummies. Just go home. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they were trying. They they were bad at it. Or better yet, just sit down and let him come and murder you. That would be definitely the right answer. Ugh. Yeah. There's no reason for it. You know, like we said, it's a throwback to an 80s slasher. And there's always, you know, they're big monstrous guys who come get you. No reason that it had to involve... An actual human being. A normal person. Right. Yeah. Just monsters can be monsters. They don't have to be your own personal demons, Adam Green. (laughs) And... And I think if your own personal demon is sometimes people look different than I do and it scares me, maybe you should look into that in a way that doesn't involve creating trash fiction for other people. And having every character constantly say, oh, it's a monster. Oh, it's so hideous. I can't stand it. This is the worst. Yeah. And that that was the overwhelming thing about the whole movie for me was just as soon as they revealed his backstory, I'm like, oh, Adam. And I couldn't deal yeah, I was already on the fence before that because of the homophobia and sex sexophobia. <laughs> because of the homophobia and sexism and because of Sean's terribly racist accent. But yeah, the the reveal of the backstory was definitely the point where it's like, yep, you're mm, no. Quote, that thing was never human. I mean, yeah. it's eugenics. Yeah. It's very upsetting. Very upsetting. It makes me feel like somebody other than him wrote that one scene. Like, yeah, like he had somebody else entirely come in and write the backstory scene because I don't know how the same person could be in both places. Well, and I have this idea that when writing this movie, he was like, it's a throwback to the 80s. I'm going to make it like a movie from the 80s. Mm. So he threw in all the homophobia. I mean, the sexism was obviously intended in that way. It was like, oh, 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 these movies used to do this kind of thing. Wow, let's do it. But look at the movie. He's filming it with fancy, high-end, modern cameras. It doesn't look like an 80s movie. The characters have cell phones. It's set in the present. You don't have to bring... I mean, he made choices of what to bring from the Mm -hmm. 80s. He didn't have to bring that stuff from the 80s. There's no reason for it. Which, I mean, it's the sort of thing where then you have to assume that in his mind, that was the 80s. Like, like the, yeah. those are the things that were important, not necessarily because he believed that they were good, but that they're what define the era. Yeah. And not in a way, like there is a way, I know we've talked about this a bunch of times, but there is a way to address those sorts of things. And... 
make it clear that it's a problem. Like, yeah, like the homophobia was problematic, but it was also an incredibly horrific character. Mm-hmm. Like that dad was homophobia was not his only issue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he was clearly not a good guy. So when you have a clearly bad guy doing something like that, you can address it in ways that make it like, this is a thing people said in the 80s, look how terrible it is. Yeah. But instead it was, this is a thing that happened in the 80s, ha ha ha. Yeah. It's, that's not the joke. The, the joke isn't that it happened. The joke is that it happened and those people thought it was okay that it happened. <laughs> yeah. So it was a lot of that. Well, and like you pointed out with the with the sexism piece of it, yes, those girls were recording a... Girls Gone Wild. Yeah, essentially a Girls Gone Wild style movie. Um, honestly, I had less <laughs> of a problem with that because at least then they were exhibiting some agency. Like, <laughs> yeah. they had decided to do that. That was fine. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. Great. The guy filming them was a dirtbag. Yeah. But that was pretty clear. I have more of an issue with the way Mary Beth was written because I don't think he realized in any way that there was an issue with the way Mary Beth was written. Yeah. I mean, he's like, here's my strong female. She's not like other girls. She can't be the hero, but she can be second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's, you know, that idea that most girls are like these other girls who just want to use their sexuality to get what they want. Yeah. But every once in a while, there's also a girl really like dumb. this. Yes, clearly. But every once in a while, you come across a a smart, brave girl, but even she is going to end up huddled up against the hero's chest at some point in the movie. Yeah. So the part I liked was the very last shot of the movie, which is funny. Some of the kills were like, oh, that was pretty fun. You know, they're very practical effects, extreme gore, brutal craziness again not like the 80s far more sophisticated yes but no he didn't want to bring that back (laughs) he knew what was important he wanted to have that gas-powered belt sander scene yeah yeah like they do in the 80s yeah but at the very last scene we've got i guess i'm just going to describe the final shot of the movie tell us spoilers mary beth falls in the water or actually she's dragged into the water by the evil monster she's in the water and now she's like stuck on a root i guess that was not very clear but she couldn't get out of the water shoelaces were tangled or something and all i could think was just (laughs) kick your shoes off girl and the guy just disappeared the horrible monster so apparently he was leaving her alone in the water trapped on this root and she's trying to get out and she's reaching up and uh ben ben is up on the boat you know leaning over going oh no oh no i want to save you and you see the hand coming down into the water to save her and she's reaching up and she's reaching up oh wait it's victor pulling her out of the water and ben's body is already torn to pieces in the boat yeah, he was actually holding Ben's hand into oh, the water as bait. I didn't bait. even realize that. He had torn Ben's That's really arm good. Off. Yeah, I knew that part. I I also wrote the note, brilliant. Yeah, that's even better. I did not that know was, he'd use it Ben's It was arm. so good. Because you and I were both commenting on how like Ben's up in the boat and doing his Ben thing, which was being completely <laughs> ineffectual. Like yeah. He was a complete waste of space through the whole movie. <laughs> 
basically just like sat and watched as other people did things. So Mary Beth is underwater. He doesn't dive into the water to save her. Oh, no, no. He just sort of leans a little (laughs) ways over the boat and sticks his arm in the water, but doesn't like... He's not even up to his shoulder in the water. Oh, no. He's just, like, up to his elbow. And he doesn't know her that well. It's a little bit of effort. I mean, it's what she gets. She shouldn't have been snubbing him for the whole movie, right? And I, you know, from the underwater shots, I'm like, come on, Ben. Like, make a little bit of effort. Your hand is just sitting there in the water. (laughs) Yeah. And then we break up above, and she sees that it's Victor, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you weren't moving your hand because your hand isn't even attached to your body anymore. It was awesome. Yeah, great ending. It was The ending was definitely the best part of the whole movie. Can't wait for Hatchet 2. You can watch that one on <laughs> Halloween Day when you do your marathon. I'm, I'm not watching anymore. We're, I'm calling an end to this streak. Yeah, I, I am too. Okay. The streak is over. I marked this movie as high school appropriate, which I didn't mean it's actually appropriate for high schoolers, but I mean high schoolers eating it up. This is the movie for them. They are very excited about this movie. Yeah, I, I can see that. That's the I don't think their parents would be excited no, about them watching it. Not at all. It, but not at all. That's part of what makes high schoolers <laughs> want to watch things, though. But, you know, that's the mentality of it, and... You know, same level of not caring about how other people feel. Perfect for teenagers. Yeah, definitely teenagers in the 80s. I kind of hope that teenagers are getting better now. Yes, teenagers run the world now. I'm glad. So I'm looking at my notes and I still see a couple of things. It was unclear to me whether Victor Crowley was a human who couldn't be killed or he had been killed as it described in the backstory. It said he had, yeah. Yeah, but then we also saw him killed multiple times and he came sure. back every time. So, like, did they just think he was dead? Or did he die then and then right now they're dealing with, like, a spirit? And Mary Beth definitely thought that that was the case. Yeah, that's what she said. They, and, they called him a ghost multiple times. Yeah, so I think that was what was supposed to be going on. I don't think it was done well, If if so. But she kept saying he's trapped in the night he died. He's reliving the night he died. And I kept saying, where is your evidence for that? Uh Like, why do you think this? I mean, there is the fact that they also set him on fire inside his own house. I feel like that's less him reliving the (laughs) night he died and more them reliving the night he died. Yeah, they decided to do that. I, I And imagine that. Okay, okay. Here's where I went. The local lore is that he died after getting an axe to the face because his dad was trying to save him from a burning building. Yeah. Which is my other note, which is, Dad, maybe try to enter the building through all the parts that aren't on fire currently. (laughs) Yes. Like, literally, the door was the only part on fire to begin with, and that was the only place he wanted to go in. Yeah. So then Dad puts an axe through the door trying to save him. He's standing right there. So dad puts an axe to his face. Theoretically, like the local lore is that Victor Crowley dies there. Mm-hmm. Imagine that he didn't, right? Imagine that his dad didn't actually die of a broken heart afterwards because of what happened. They just were living together still. He nursed his son back to life. Dad dies because sometimes people die. Especially in the swamp full of gators. Victor Crowley, who is not that old when his dad dies manages to keep himself alive all these years. Yeah. And then here comes along this boat full of boneheads 
who are scared of him because he looks different and they are like shooting at him and stuff. Yeah, right away. And I mean, he did kill somebody right away too, but whatever. I mean, I'm not saying he's completely blameless, but he's had a pretty traumatic life to this point. Yeah. Doesn't have much reason to trust other human beings. They're trespassing on his property. I mean, yeah. and then they decide of their own volition that he died and is reliving <laughs> his death. And the only way to free his spirit is to help him relive the night he died originally. I'm like, hold on. You're deciding to light this dude on fire because you have some story in your head that he died having been lit on fire and you have to yeah. free his ghost when ghosts aren't even a thing? <laughs> it really, that's a good read on the story. It I was, like it. It was appalling. When you think of it happening in the real world, it's appalling. Yeah, I mean, that's another kind of 2020-ish thing you're dealing with there where people are just like, no, no, we have to save these children from the pizza parlor. Right? We've created this thing in our head, this monster, this this yeah. tragic thing. It makes me want to point out that my rule about zombies is a rule about zombies, and I don't believe zombies exist. So, at no point am I ever going to actually murder someone who happens to get sick. <laughs> it won't happen, because I understand the difference between reality and fiction, and these guys did not. No, they really did not. So... That covers my last two points. Did you have anything else you uh, thought was super important about this movie? Just that it was mostly filmed football stadium for night. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> there were so many scenes where they were like, oh, we finally found the flashlight. I'm like, dude, you don't need a flashlight. There's a huge like spotlight behind you. I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very bright swamp. But, yeah. you know, they showed the, the marsh vapors and the ghost lights. Yeah. That's what does it. I mean, to be fair, it was a very bright swamp with some interesting lighting that made it interesting. Like, at least you could see what was going on. Yeah, that's good. But it still looked creepy because there were lots of shadows and stuff. Like, the lighting was way off to the side and was very stark. Yeah. yeah. But then don't pretend it's pitch black because it's obviously not. Yeah. It's annoying. It's interesting because if you watch an 80s movie, you can have that thought of, well, that's kind of horrible, but they didn't know any better. And then you watch this yeah. and you're like, oh, so he knows better, but he just... He still thinks it's funny, so it's okay. Yeah. So that makes me want to score it low. The ending was good, mm -hmm. but technically that was 10 seconds of the movie. <laughs> yes. I should point out this particular slasher movie is sort of a comedy also. It's... Not really very funny, but it's it's trying to be funny. It's got comedic bits. And so I really enjoyed the uh, old couple that was on the boat. They were totally ridiculous, and they knew they were supposed to be ridiculous. And that was fun. The guy was played by the grandpa from Grounded for Life. Yeah, Richard Real. He's funny. I think that's how you say his name. Yeah, and he was being ridiculous. And, and then when an alligator attacked him and started chewing on his leg, he really barely cared. No, he was just like, ow, ow. Guys, I'm it's being biting eaten. me. Yeah. So that was a very Midwestern couple, though. So, yeah, you know, that could have been. They just had some stoicism going on there. <laughs> they sure did. All in all, that adds up to 
two bloody belt sanders out of five. Two. Okay. So there were things I liked about this. I enjoyed the cast, actually. Like, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of people that I knew from other things that were entertaining to me. The main character, Ben, was played by one of my favorite interns (laughs) from Bones. Yes. And then we had Harmony from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like, it was a good cast. They were funny. Like, you pointed out, it had some comedic bits to it. It yeah. it was. It was almost slapstick in parts. Yeah, I liked some of Marcus's lines. Later on, not so much, but towards the beginning, he had some little comebacks. Yeah, yeah. I found myself enjoying the dialogue. There was a lot of, not so much witty banter as that kind of sarcastic, bordering on nasty banter that you have with people you've known for a long time and where you really know where their line is and, you know, how comfortable you are with them. But on the other hand, that's where a lot of the sexism and homophobia (laughs) came in, too. when you were describing that. So, you know, like, I liked that it felt natural in the sense where I was like, I can see these guys, you know, a bunch of frat guys talking to each other this way. Yeah. It's also why I don't like frat guys. But still, like, the you know, as as written dialogue, it felt real to me. It wasn't stilted like some terrible horror movies can Mm -hmm. be. There were no scary parts to me, but there were definitely... I don't think it was going for scary. It was going for gruesome, and there were definitely some gruesome parts. It's a very high-gore movie. This was one of the movies that I... There were parts that I watched through my fingers (laughs) so that I could immediately, you know, block it off if it got too nasty. And then other parts where I just was like, oh, I... Like the belt sander, I looked away and I didn't care to see what was actually happening there. I'm like, I can assume that I know what's going to happen here. (laughs) So it was definitely one of the gorier horror movies we've seen this month. It had some weird music. Yes, it did. Uh, When they were on their way to the boat, there was like perky rom-com music playing. Yes, I wrote frolic fun time music. Yes, it was very strange. (laughs) But then later there was some very intense horror music sort of thing so i it was they were definitely trying to manipulate us with their musical choices i feel like it was a little heavy-handed yeah i don't know if if this movie could be rewritten to take out all the isms and to make it less cringy in that sense yeah i feel like i would rate this movie pretty high i actually enjoyed watching parts (laughs) of it like it was ridiculous but it was ridiculous in a way I was enjoying. But like you said, I have to take points away for just the fact that I don't think this movie is a positive addition to the universe in general. You know what I mean? Like you were saying that about an earlier movie. Yeah, I feel strongly about that. So I am, instead of what would probably have been a four in my mind, like I really, it was fun. I had a very different take on this movie than you. I know. I mean, it wasn't a good movie. No, it wasn't. (laughs) But it was fun. I was enjoying watching it, except for the parts where I was like, oh, no. So what would have probably been a four, I am going to also give two bloody belt sanders out of five because I am disappointed in that. And frankly, I am disappointed in Adam Green because I think he's actually pretty good at what he does. And it's too bad that he thinks that gay people and women and people with genetic disorders and Asians are so hilarious. Uh, You know, it's... 
that's disappointing. And uh, I think he could be a better person. And that would get have him make better movies. So this is our person review. <laughs> Uh, to be clear, I am not giving him a rating. I'm not rating him as a human being. That's not a thing. I just am disappointed because I think he has skills that are being held back because of this sense that he is better than other people. Yeah. So that's that. And there ends this quadrilogy of movies. Yeah. Let's move on to something completely different. Yes. The movie Sweetheart from 2019. Doesn't that sound nice? It sounds so romantic. I can't wait. Be mine. <laughs> I'm afraid of what that's going to mean. <laughs> I, I don't know that that has anything to do with it. We'll find out. You took my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Stop fidgeting, please. We have to be quiet. (laughs) Okay, I'm done. (laughs) Go ahead. Do we have to get the wiggles out? (laughs) No, that was it. I'm good.